As a business owner, you will have many decisions to make that are filled with discomfort and uncertainty. How can you increase your chances of making good decisions when you're filled with doubt, unconsciously overconfident, or facing a very unpleasant situation? And how do you teach good decision-making? In this short series, we will take a look at how you can make more effective decisions and how to go about teaching your company leaders how to make good decisions. Running a service business can be hard. It is not unusual for business owners in industries like contracting, home repair, auto repair, business-to-business services like janitorial, IT and accounting, and many others to feel overwhelmed by all the priorities facing them at any given time. Between addressing the needs of the customers, managing the employees, figuring out the financials, and getting processes in place, feeling like you're making significant progress on your business journey can be difficult. Welcome to Service Industry Success, hosted by Brian Harding. Each week, Brian will look at real-world strategies for building the business you are dreaming of, while also sharing tactics to get through some of the most frustrating parts of business ownership with a lot more ease. Let's get started. So let's start out today by talking about why failure happens when we make decisions. Failure happens for a number of reasons, like failure to act at all or failure to act on time. One of the most common ones is just acting without any kind of forethought. Another one is making emotional or erratic overcorrections. A big one is not following up and not following through. So having a a solid, known decision-making process can help overcome this. Most people in leadership roles are not naturally good leaders. We've talked about this over the last several weeks. If you pull any large number of people, 100 people, 1,000 people, a million people, and ask them what percentage of the bosses they've worked for were good, the vast majority are going to say not very many. It'll probably be way less than uh, 20%. might even be 5%. Who knows? Depending on which poll you listen to, it, they ain't good, though. The numbers are not good. People do not, by and large, think that their bosses and managers and supervisors are good leaders. So how do we, how do we overcome this? If you're going to have any freedom from your business, you have to train a leadership team to make decisions so you can go do other things. Freedom could mean uh, taking a vacation once in a while. You know, you just want to go away for a couple of weeks and not have to worry about things while you're gone or not have to keep your phone on or, or be worried about the mess you're going to come back to when you, when you get back. Freedom could mean turning over the day-to-day management of your company so you can go do other things. Freedom could be uh, just not worrying about coming back to a mess every time you take some time off. You want to take a four-day weekend and you're worried about the mess you might come back to. Freedom could mean not feeling like you're the only person in the company capable of making good decisions or that you're the only person able and willing to drive improvements. That could be the kind of freedom you're looking for. No matter what, if you're going to build a business that can run without you uh, and without you making all the important decisions, you'll need a team of people who can make good decisions on their own. There's a couple of challenges we need to overcome when delegating decision-making to our team. We have to be comfortable doing so, which is one of the hardest things business owners must overcome. One of the greatest challenges business owners have is a, is a desire to be free, but a fear of ter- giving up control. That is probably the number one issue for companies that are growing at any kind of reasonable pace. Part of that is because we know that the people we must train to make good decisions don't necessarily care as much as we do. Listen, it's our business, and they could be very dedicated, very devoted employees. The truth of the matter is, when it's your business, you just care more. You have to. You don't, you don't have a choice. This is not something that's a, a good or bad thing. It just is. You have to care more when it's your business. 
We also fear that people don't necessarily have all the information we do, which is by and large true. One of the reasons that business owners can't trust people to make good decisions is because they don't take the time to train them about very basic things. What are we trying to build here? What is our company going to look like in 10 years? Why do we exist? Why, what do our customers really care about? These are the kinds of things that people, business owners generally don't teach, and then they get frustrated that people don't, aren't able to make good decisions. We also fear that people don't necessarily have the experience we do, which again could be true. They don't get the customer complaints. They don't get the, the emails that are the accolades. Uh, they don't have the experience developing a marketing campaign and, and all the kind of things that you guys have gone through as business owners. So this is true. We fear that people don't necessarily have good leadership skills, which is naturally because we know that from our own experience as employees, most leaders are not, not generally good. And we are afraid that they don't necessarily have good decision-making skills, which is also true. And teaching decision-making is something I just don't hear a lot about. Um, it's one thing to believe that you've worked for a number of people who cannot make uh, good decisions and simultaneously think that you are the exception and you're good at that, which could be. But it's something else entirely to assume that people you're going to promote are going to be good decision makers also. It's not something that is necessarily people are going to be good at. It, they could be, but it's not necessarily, not necessarily something you can count on people being good at unless you train them. And training people to be good decision makers is just not something that is commonly talked about. For those of you who want to build a, build a business you can completely step away from, whether through a succession plan or because you want to pursue other things in life you love, like sailing around the world or starting a charity or retiring or starting another business or creating your real estate empire, you specifically are going to have to train people to do everything you do right now. And the path from where your leadership team is now, wherever that is, they're likely probably making small decisions in a very controlled environment to eventually running the show and doing everything that you do today. The bridge between the point where they're at now and that ending point of they're, they're doing everything is learning how to make good decisions on their own. This is different than learning how to handle situations that may arise like customer complaints or employee issues or process failures or sales and revenue challenges. This is different than that. We don't only want to, you know, like the old saying, you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, you teach a man a fish, you feed, you, you feed him forever. This is kind of that same thing. What we don't want to do is spend years having our leadership team and our, and our future leaders experience, well, this is what happens when you have a customer complaint, and here's what happens when you want to change a process, and here's what happens when you have this employee issue. And we give them these fish one at a time over many years, and they and they develop a, a catalog of information on what to do in certain specific instances, but we've not trained them how to make decisions. We've not trained them how to weigh factors and, and how to go about making a good choice and following through and following up and all these things that really matter in making good decisions. These are the skills we have to teach them if we want to have a, a reasonable expert, or we, we want to have a reasonable hope that they're going to do a good job of making good decisions when we're gone. We have to teach them how to make good decisions. We don't only want to give them a fish one at a time, like I said, over a long period of time, where they're really only learning how to apply our values and balance the needs of the customer, the company, and the employee. We got to teach them the skills and the process of making decisions. So the next thing we have to get them to understand and get ourselves to understand is that everything we do is a process. Everything. Riding a bike is a process. Baking a lasagna is a process. Making a sale in your business is a process. Creating a marketing plan and making decisions. These all are a process. And there's a number of wrong ways to do all those things. There's a ton of wrong ways to ride a bicycle. There's a ton of wrong ways to bake a lasagna and make a sale and create a marketing plan and make a decision. 
we perform these tasks using methods that are, if, if we perform these tasks using methods that are one of the wrong ways, in most things in life, we figured out right away. If you're riding a bicycle the wrong way, you're going to figure it out pretty quickly. This isn't going to work. If you bake a lasagna the wrong way and you use ingredients like peas and lettuce and rhubarb and strawberry jam or whatever it is, you're going to find out pretty quickly that that didn't work, that the process is broken. When you're cooking, you follow a recipe so you can determine exactly, or you predetermine the outcome you want, and you follow a recipe which is a known path to get there. In business, it's not like that always. You could be making a wrong choice, you could be heading down the wrong path, you could be following the wrong process, and you may not know for a very long time. If you have a marketing campaign that's not working, all you can really know maybe is that the phone isn't ringing. You, you don't know specifically what the problem is right away as like you do in other things in life. You're not able to put your finger on it right away. So you want to be able to make sure we teach something that we don't have to assume is going to work or not work. We know this is going to work. We want to teach a process for making decisions that we know is going to work. A poor decision-making process is definitely something that we could have a very negative impact on our business if we're going about doing it the wrong way. But how often do we really make sure we're following a decision-making process that isn't one of the wrong ways to do it? What if, what if there was a recipe for good decision-making? And I think there is, and I'm going to share mine with you. You can certainly alter this to suit your own needs and your, your own style, but there's some critical elements that we're going to be covering that are often overlooked and which will predictably result in poor decisions or initiative failures. We're going to talk about things uh, uh, over the next few episodes. Uh, there's going to be a three-part series. We're going to talk about all the different steps that go along to making good decisions. And, and I'm going to, uh, my, my goal is to deliver this in a way that you can teach it to your leadership team and in a way that they will understand. So the first thing we're going to talk about, step one in my leadership or my decision-making process is objectively assessing the qualifications of the decision-maker. Now, this can go two ways. Last week, I mentioned Aristotle and his uh, is talking about virtue being the golden mean between two extreme behaviors, one of deficiency and one of excess. When putting ourselves in charge of anything, we must make decisions with confidence. Now, that's not the same thing as making decisions with ego or overconfidence or hopefulness or even hopelessness. We want to strive for the mean there, which is confidence. So some very extreme, uh, some common extreme examples would be here's some hopelessness or hopefulness. You would say, same thing, say or think things like, I'm not sure what to do here, but I own the business, which means I'm supposed to know what to do, so I guess I'll just go with it. I'll just go ahead. Um, another thing you might say is, other business owners appear to know what to do, so I guess I'll just make a decision and hope for the best. Those are kind of the hopeful or hopeless ways of approaching decision-making. The other end of that extreme would be, would be ego or overconfidence, and that would sound or sound like you saying or thinking things like, I'm in charge and I proclaim this is going to work. Therefore, that's the way it's going to be. <laughs> and you certainly work with people who've, who've had that kind of mindset. And uh, you've probably also seen how that works out. Uh, another thing that people with overconfidence or ego might say or think is everyone else has this figured out. So it can't be that hard. And, and we just move ahead. Right. So we don't want to have either those hopeful, or hopeless or overconfident approaches. Clearly, neither one of those would, would likely produce a very good outcome. But maintaining confidence can be pretty difficult. No question you're going to have to make decisions where there isn't a clear good option. So how should we assess our own qualifications to start out with confidence rather than ego or hope? And it's simple. 
How would you assess another person's qualifications to perform any task? If your neighbor's 12-year-old asked if they, if they could mow your lawn, how would you assess their qualifications? You'd probably ask yourself or ask them, have you ever mowed a lawn before? <laughs> and this is an important qualifier. Have you ever mowed a lawn before with a successful outcome? Have you done this well? Not just have you done this, but have you done this well? And obviously, more successes are better than just one success, etc. So if a person has done a task without a successful outcome, they will at least know some of the pitfalls to look for. But if they've done it with many uh, successful outcomes, they're more likely to know more of the, of the pitfalls to look out for. And that's really what we got to figure out is, do you know when things are going right and you know when things are going wrong before we get to the end result? Again, with the marketing campaign, if all we know is the phones aren't ringing, but we don't know why it's not ringing, then we probably don't know this process well enough. We, we might need some help. We might need to hire somebody to help us, right? The th second thing we can do to figure out if a person is, is uh, um, skilled at doing this thing is has a person received sufficient training, which is likely to lead to a successful outcome? Have they been taught how to do this? Uh, maybe they've gone to training, but they just haven't done it practically yet. And then the last one is, Will this person have adequate supervision during the process by someone who has firsthand experience or adequate training? So other examples in life might be, you know, if your child asks you, hey, they, they wanted to go to a friend's house. It's the middle of winter. There's two inches of snow on the ground. And they say, hey, it's okay. I, I can make it. Um, I've, you know, I, I want to go to my friend's house and drive. You would obviously be asking yourself, has my child driven in the snow before? If the answer is no, then they're probably not going to go. They, you're probably going to want to train them. You're probably going to go ride along with them while they drive in the snow the first time. If you live in Wisconsin and this is something they do every third day in the in the wintertime, then you're probably going to say, yeah, no problem. Go ahead. You know, that the experience that they have would dictate your, your ability to trust them to make good decisions. If you're building a fence and your brother-in-law comes over and tells you that you're doing it all wrong, one of the things you're probably going to ask is how many fences have you built? Are you qualified to be giving me advice in this thing? So... This is the same process we want to go through in objectively assessing our own ability. Are we capable of, of making this decision? Do we have the relevant skills or experience so we at least would know what pitfalls to look out for, what things could go wrong, how to know when things are on the right track and when they're not? Um, the other side of this is we don't want to be starting out from a, a dismissive posture. You know, if we... If we assume it's not that big of a deal, we're going to dismiss all the intricacies and all the details that would, that would go along with something. We underestimate the risk of, or the complexity. If the neighbor kid has never even started a lawnmower before, mowing your lawn is probably not a good idea because he would not know the hazards to look out for. And he would likely dismiss the risks because he's not aware of them. He wouldn't, he wouldn't, if he's not ever started a lawnmower before, he might not know to put, not put his hand underneath it. He might not know to turn it over on the side while it's running. He might not know a lot of things because he's never done it before. He wouldn't know the risks to look out for. He would downplay those risks in his mind. When, if he was trying to convince you that it's no big deal for him to come mow your lawn, he's never done this before. And you said, what about this? And what about that? He would naturally probably downplay those risks. On the other hand, if we're coming at this from the other side where, where we're, we're um, not confident, we might embellish or exaggerate the risks. We might talk about uh, how it's just impossible to overcome certain obstacles. We might talk about how this just can be too hard. And then we can ask ourselves, well, listen, if you followed other recipes before, you can probably tackle making a lasagna. If you've done other similar kinds of things and you've had reasonably good outcomes, then you're probably qualified to do this better than you think. If I'm nervous about turning over a lot of responsibility to someone so I can focus on growing my business, but I've successfully hired and trained other employees before, well, then you can have a reasonably good 
belief that you're going to have the ability to hire and train people to do leadership roles. It's the same training process. You're just training different information. You're training different material. If you've reason, had a reasonably good success rate at training people to do different things before, you can train somebody to do this. So, you know, look at what you've accomplished already. So my point is we don't want to be assuming uh, that we know a lot and diminishing the, the risks and liabilities and challenges. And we don't want to be assuming that it's just this mount, mountain that we can't climb and there's just too many hassles and too many um, pitfalls and too many this and that. We can just ask for it. Well, listen, you haven't done this specifically, but if you've done something reasonably close to it, that would give you a good chance of being successful. So again, we don't want to approach this from being too egotistical or too overconfident, but we also don't want to be too weak and too meek and too um, um, reluctant and just exaggerate how how you know how hard this could really be. So the first thing is objectively assess the skills of the decision maker. Are we qualified to make decisions on this or not? Step two is Determine the specific desired outcome. And it's critical here that we got to be specific. And this is, this is where people commonly fail. People generally will pick a generic outcome. And they will oversimplify things. And they will, they will believe or act as if the details of the situation don't really matter. So, like, let's take the, again, the, the marketing example. What we will often hear business owners say is, I want lots of calls from people who are ready to buy. Well, that's a dramatic oversimplification of how to develop a good marketing uh, campaign. We should be asking things like, how do we reach these kinds of people with this kind of need and demonstrate that we have the ability to solve their problem and give them a compelling reason to buy from us instead of brand X. That's approach. That's an approach we should take versus I want to have lots of people call who are ready to buy. Uh, hiring is another good example. You know, we need lots of good employees with lots of good experience. It's a dramatic oversimplification, but something you hear very frequently from business owners versus we need to reach these people who are trying to solve this problem with their employment, demonstrate our employment uh, solves their problem and give them a compelling reason to apply it at our company instead of brand X. Those are specific um, goals. You know, you've heard the term smart goals. That's what we need to aim for. We cannot aim for generic goals. Most bosses will say things like, we need to do this better. We need to improve X. What the heck does that even mean? And how could you have any kind of reasonable expectation that people will get on board supporting an effort you can't define and will only be attained when the boss declares it so? Like, well, you'll just magically walk in one day and say, okay, we've met our goal. <laughs> people are not going to get on board with that. So we have to have specific goals. If we're hopefully or hopelessly picking the outcome, you have too many details, we overcomplicate. You know, in hiring, it would sound like finding good people is just impossible, or who has the time for training, or interviewing is just so time consuming, and people don't even show up for interviews. Um, you hear this a lot in the accounting world. I don't understand revenue versus sales, and what's the difference between gross margin and gross profit, and who knows what the expenses of the percentage of revenue are supposed to be, and who knows what my cost of goods are sold are supposed to be, and who understands cash flow and balance statement, all the numbers, and it's just too much. Well, yeah, until you just like say, hey, I'm going to learn how to read a PL. and l And I'm going to give myself until, you know, March 31st to do it. And I'm going to read a book on how to, you know, what are the most important things I need to take, uh, take a look at? Or uh, I can find podcasts or YouTube videos or talk to my CPA and learn the fundamentals. And then I'll go to the next step. And then I'll go to the next step. Like we don't have to overcomplicate things um, and approach things from being hopeless or hopeful. Uh, hopeful would sound like 
I hope this gets better someday, or someday I hope we find the right employees, or I hope the labor market changes someday. Uh, these are these are ways that we approach things with hope rather than confidence. Uh, and we can only take action when we have a specific goal. So if we say things like, we're going to take our close rate from 86% to 93% by February 28th to 2022, that's a very specific goal that people can get on board with. If we just say things like, we need to include our, uh, improve our close rate. Okay, now what? That's just not something people can get behind. We can say things like, we're going to increase our revenue by $3.5 million in 2022 over 2021. That's a very specific goal that people can get behind. We're going to reduce our warranty calls from 16 a month to 10 a month by whatever date. Or we're going to get 25% of our customers to give us a five-star Google review starting on this date. Those are specific goals versus just saying, we need more five-star Google reviews. Well, what does that even mean? How can anybody even get behind that? So um, that's the two steps we're going to cover in this episode. Uh, we're going to cover more steps coming up. So the first thing we've got to do is in the whole decision-making process and understanding why this matters is accept that many failures happen because we're not consistent. Many times we don't have a clear vision of what we want to accomplish. We don't have clear goals. We say nebulous uh, general things that people just can't get behind. And we don't follow a functional decision-making process, which is, which is proven to give consistently good results. We have to recognize that most managers and other bosses are not naturally good leaders and it takes conscious work to become a good leader. So we may not be naturally good leaders when, we're, when we start out. I wasn't one. I was terrible when I started out. I really was not good at leadership when I started out. It took me uh, some fantastic mentors and, and dedication and, uh, you know, a will to, to improve. I was not naturally good at it. One of the things that we can do to set ourselves up for failure is just assume that we're good at this stuff. We have to put deliberate conscious effort into it. We have to understand that everything we do is a process. Um, you have, and your leadership team has a decision-making process. You have one right now. You may not consistently use it. You may not even know what it is, but you follow a process today. Uh, whether you're aware of this or not, you follow a decision-making process and you may not follow the same one every time, but every time you make a decision, you are following a process. If we want to have freedom from our business, we have to train our leadership team to make decisions in a way that we will approve of and we will trust them so we can go do other things. We have to be comfortable doing so, uh, trusting them to make decisions, which is one of the hardest things that business owners must overcome. It's incredibly hard to trust somebody else with your baby, and your business is your baby. One of the things we can do to enhance our ability to trust them is teach them how to make good decisions and teach them a process to follow every single time, which we know is going to yield positive results. So having confidence that they are capable of making good decisions will help you uh, step away from the business, take a, take a two week vacation or take a four day weekend or, or delegate decisions so you can focus on other things or whatever is the case in your business. You have to be able to trust people to make decisions. You can delegate decisions so you can go do other things. You cannot do that if you don't trust their ability to make decisions. When you're cooking, you follow a recipe because you know the recipe was going to produce the outcome you want. Decision-making, following a process for decision-making is no different. You, If you get a decision-making process you like and you trust and you follow it every time, you will know the results are going to be what you want. When putting ourselves in charge of anything, we must make decisions with confidence and not with ego or hopelessness or even hopefulness or, you know, either one. And step one of the decision-making process is objectively assessing the qualifications of the decision-maker. Has this person performed this task before or similar tasks with successful outcomes? 
Have they received any kind of training? Will they have any kind of oversight? Will they have somebody helping them? Will they, will, you know, will you, will you hire somebody to help you guide, guide you through this process? We don't want to be too full of ourselves and downplay legitimate concerns. We don't want to be too fearful and exaggerate the obstacles or consequences. Step two, determine the specific outcome we're looking for. We got to be specific. Most bosses are going to say things like, we need to improve this. We got to do better. What the heck does that mean? You can't expect people to get behind you if you can't clearly define the goal. We don't want to overcomplicate things. We don't want to say things like hiring people is too difficult and people don't show up for training or, or interviews and who has time for training and blah, blah, blah. We don't want to say things that are hopeful, like I hope this gets better someday. We got to have specific goals. Taking a close rate from 86 to 93%. Those are the hand specific goals we're talking about. So that's the first two steps of our decision-making process. Uh, we're going to get to the other two, or the other the next two episodes. We're going to talk about the rest of the steps for this. So by the end of the next three episodes, You'll be able to have a process you can teach to your leadership team and take them down step by step on how to make good decisions. And you can start with very small things and work your way up to very big things. That's the beauty of this. So um, that's it for this week. If you haven't had time, please uh, subscribe to our podcast. That would be awesome. If you have a friend or a colleague who's a business owner in the service industry, please take a moment and share this with them. Our, our uh, ratings are going up. Uh, the last couple months have been really exciting. We're, we're reaching tons of people and like 10 different countries now. Um, that's fantastic. Thank you for your help in uh, sharing this and promoting it with your friends. If you have time, please give us a rate, rating review. Make sure you subscribe. And uh, that's it for this week. And I'll talk to you all next week. <laughs>